ladies, gentlemen, and as always, everyone in between. My name is Clifton Duncan. This is, of course, my podcast. Uh, today, we have yet another fascinating conversation with you, as always. First, I'm going to do a little bit of housekeeping. I want to say thank you to all the wonderful, kind folks uh, on uh, on Spotify who've given me uh, all five-star reviews. I think we're up to maybe about 50 right now, so that, that really helped. That's really cool. I want to shout you out and thank you. I think also we're, we're doing a slow march to 10,000 subscribers on YouTube, which I never really imagined, so I'm already thinking of things I want to do to celebrate that, uh, that milestone, so uh, thanks again for everybody there. Um, but, uh, you know, that leads me to thinking, you know, maybe you want to give a nice little shout out, a, a five-star review yourself. And uh, as always, if you love it, you should share it with your friends. And if you hate it, you should share it with your enemies. Um, last but not least, we have to shout out our fantastic sponsors, the good people at Twin Engine Coffee. Uh, I right now am enjoying my lovely Katura tea made from dried coffee fruit. Uh, here's my recipe. I take two lemon wedges, squeeze those bad boys in there. A little bit of um, cayenne pepper powder, some ginger root, and some honey. Wildflower orange blossom honey. And you'll be sounding just like me. I, I can't promise you that. I'm sorry. But... Uh, you know, the podcast is going very well. Uh, last time we spoke to the wonderful Douglas Murray, I'm finding that we are really creating a space where people can um, have really um, accessible but penetrating and engaging conversations about uh, arts and culture. And this week, of course, we have uh, no less someone who is uniquely qualified to talk about these kinds of things. I just want to read this uh, verbatim. I've been told not to alter it in any way. Um, just to give you an idea of the sort of uh, uh, magnitude we're dealing with today. <clears throat> My guest is recognized as one of today's most gifted artists and enjoying an active career as both conductor and pianist. Uh, his lyrical and poignant interpretations have won him critical acclaim throughout the world. Principal guest conductor of the Moscow Symphony Orchestra and conductor laureate of the Chamber Orchestra of Philadelphia, uh, Ignat Solzhenitsyn, who is my guest today, has recently led the symphonies of Baltimore, Cincinnati, Dallas, Indianapolis, Milwaukee, Seattle, and Toronto. The, um, I can't pronounce that, I'm so, I'm so sorry, sir. Uh, the Czech National Symphony, as well as the Marinsky Orchestra and the St. Petersburg Philharmonic. He has partnered with such world-renowned soloists as Richard Good, Gary Gaffman, Gidden Kramer, and Sophie Mutter, Garrick Olson, Nsimslav uh, Rostopovich, and Mitsuko Uchida. And uh, I'm going to mispronounce so much more, but uh, I just I just love the fact that we have this uh, individual sitting here today because uh, a brilliant, brilliant individual with a brilliant, brilliant lineage. Um, my guest today is Mr. Ignat Solzhenitsyn. Uh, Mr. Solzhenitsyn, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you doing this morning? Doing well. I'm happy to see you, Clifton. <laughs> Thank you very, very much. Now, um, I we get these questions as actors sometimes uh, where we're just like, this is the most basic uh, nonsense. And I have no idea how to respond to this question because it's so basic. However, uh, I began reading uh, based on the recommendation of my Twitter followers, this biography about uh, someone you may have heard of, this uh, composer, uh, this no name named Shostakovich. And um, it's really exciting reading about the early chapters in his life where he where his talent became very, very, uh, very evident. And, uh, you know, and he's collaborating with all these other young musicians and composers and making music. But this idea of, um, you know, he's painting these pictures um, in in, uh, in words about what the what the what the 
music is supposed to say. And I, I thought it was very similar in a way to how an actor would acquaint themselves with a script. So I guess my basic question for you, Mr. Conductor, is what precisely as a, as a rube when it comes to classical music is the role of the conductor? Well, some people say the role of the conductor is to grow magnificent hair and show it off to the public. <laughs> well, accomplished, mission accomplished. There you go. So, okay, but, uh, but um, uh, uh, it, it's, uh, and, and, I, and I only make that joke because uh, it is true that many, many people, maybe the majority of people or, or a, a substantial minority of actually concert going uh, public, people who come to concerts and who know classical music or, or want to know it and love it, really have very little idea uh, in fact, what is it that a conductor does? I guess yeah. most people remember from high school band or elementary school band, maybe that a conductor gives the beat. And so that much is pretty clear. Most people will know that a conductor uh, has to keep everybody together. Mm -hmm. And that is uh, the, the time beating aspect is, uh, of course, perhaps the, the primary, uh, the first function of a conductor, because if it's not together, then we don't have a performance. But uh, really that's only the very beginning and it's only doesn't even begin to scratch the surface of the conductor's real job, which is first of all, before meeting the audience and before meeting the orchestra, the conductor has to spend a lot of time one-on-one -on -one with the composer. If he's alive, that's very helpful because one can actually be together and ask questions and, and say, what do you want here and why? But more often than not, uh, or, uh, we are performing music by composers no longer living. And uh, all the more reason to, to spend time, so to speak, uh, getting to know that person, getting to know his notation, getting to know his idiosyncrasies, getting to know his moods, if you will. Mm. And uh, all of this is really not that different from getting to know uh, a living human being, except of course, it has to be done through this kind of black magic of, of reading notation symbols on a piece of paper. And, uh, but that's the first thing a conductor needs to do to understand what the creator, the original creator of this piece had in mind, what message was he trying to convey? And the more clearly that becomes manifest in a conductor's brain and heart, then the better positioned he is for success uh, in translating that and transmitting that message, first of all, to the orchestra, because he stands in front of the orchestra for the first rehearsal. And that's where the really important work happens, of course, and you know this extremely well as, as an actor, that, uh, okay, the performance is one thing, but it's the rehearsals. And before the rehearsals, maybe the readings, and it's and it's and it's understanding how the pieces fit, mm -hmm. and so that's what where a conductor really earns his keep, is in is in convincing the orchestra that this is the way it has to go, not that way, not another way. By the way, other ways could be perfectly valid, but the conductor is convinced the composer wants this, and so, and and in the process, and so that is conveyed through, of course, through hand gestures, but also through eyebrows and eyes very importantly and sometimes through 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 of course through motion of the head or through a, a, a subtle shrug of the sh shoulders who knows uh, anything that can help the orchestra consciously or subconsciously 
follow that message. And so, so that's what it is. And it's at times unnerving. It's at times uh, mystical because we can't completely fully understand it or fully explain it, although I've just mm -hmm. tried. And, and it comes down to creating, creating or, or recreating the intangible. Well, it's, it's, it's so fascinating you say that. I, I mentioned um, uh, last time around that the, uh, the great uh, Russian theater maker Stanislavski would say that, uh, you know, we are using uh, a conscious process to create unconscious results when we're creating a role. And uh, just that idea of, of what you just said, it, it just, it strikes me as um, it's so similar to how I would prepare for something. I'm reading about an author, hopefully they're alive. I get to talk to them and about them. You know, I, I can sit down with different scenes and be like, you know, what were you, what was your intention here? What, what were you going for here? Uh, you know, might we try it this way? Or is this what you really wanted? And as you were speaking, you know, there's a phrase that popped up to me in reading this biography, this idea of living with or living in the music. And it feels to me like even though from the outside, um, me as a layperson is saying, okay, that, well, that's the guy that's keeping time and telling people like when to play, sometimes screaming, you know. Um, but it sounds to me like, um, if, you know, if, if there's a mystical aspect of it, you're, you're, you, you become a vessel, don't you, for the music itself. Like the, the, the music, you're living in the music, but then it becomes, it, there's this weird kind of process where you're living you're embodying the music you become a conduit for the music but you're you're also still sort of guiding the ship with the orchestra but you're transmitting it all to the audience but you're like the sort of focal point of all of it, which is such, such a fascinating thing to me to think about well uh, clifton i love those words you used a uh, vessel right. conduit uh that's exactly it and of course the, the 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 i guess the primary paradox is that one has to become those things and allow uh, that channel, allow that transmission to occur through oneself, even as one takes absolute charge and stands absolutely at the helm of each performance. And so that's, that's the part that maybe uh, some conductors, I suppose we all struggle with, but I was going to say some of us really go off the rails in, the, in, that, in that area. And maybe some of us have different goals. And uh, sad to say, not all conductors would, um, I think, place the composer at the unquestioned uh, uh, top of the playbill, so to speak. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, because after all, I'm the one who's bringing it to life. But that, uh, that hierarchy must be crystal clear. And I know it is for me. And, and actually, that makes life very much, much easier. Because I'm there to to glorify the composer. I'm there to, mm. to, 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 um, to bring, to, 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 to conjure his music uh, back to life each time I perform that piece. But that, uh, that balance between leading and absolutely being in charge uh, and at the same time allowing something deeper to happen in those same instances, in those same moments, uh, that is something that is, is hard to understand but you and I perhaps both know it when we feel it and we know that that experience can happen. Well, you know, it was funny. I was going to ask you a very, very uh, unfair question, um, you know, because I think part of my journey for the past, at least the past couple of years um, has been, you know, once once things began to kind of go off the rails and, I, you know, I was in New York and, and dubbed uh, non-essential, um, I really had to 
I really began to sit back and wonder, you know, what is the point of all of this? You know, because for me, it had just become a, more of a career and a job, you know, like there's the phrase, nice work if you can get it. And I was very fortunate, but at the same time, you know, it's hard to find work that you can really find uh, meaningful. And when you do find it, like you said, there's like this, this weird sort of thing that happens where it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm present and I'm alive and I'm here. I know I'm in this moment, but um, th there's something else happening, which I can't really, I, I don't know if there's language to explain. So I, I think I'm going to barrel ahead anyway and ask you, can you, can you recall any moments where you were, you, know, you were in the thick of it, conducting or playing, where you just felt like something else just took you over? And what, what was that experience like? Because I'm so curious to, to hear other artists speak about this uh, experience. Yes. It's a it's an out of body experience almost. Uh, not that I've had an out of body experience, but when one reads about those, and they seem common enough that they actually share common features, mm -hmm. uh, it's as if everything is happening on its own. Uh, I would say that uh, it's similar to uh, what it seems to me a great art, a great athlete. Uh, when he is in the zone, and they always talk about that being in the zone, whether it's Michael Jordan or whether it's Tiger Woods or whether it's uh, whoever it may be, and when 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 an athlete locks in in a way that nothing n nothing can bother him, nothing can disturb him, nothing can um, uh, can can push him off his path, and what he's his physical actions become almost 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 auto automatic, as I understand it. And, th and there's something about, I think there's something similar that, that occurs when one is conducting a symphony and everything clicks, you know, everything, again, you, you, you know, as well as I do that, that if you give seven performances in a row, or as, 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 as sometimes you do in the, in, in your field, eight performances in what is it? Eight in seven days. And with, with the yeah. matinee, anyway, no, when you give six many days, in a row, six. okay, right, right. So there is that one day <laughs> off, thank goodness. But yeah. they will not all go the same way. And all the human factors, uh, including our colleagues and not only ones that affect us, will will uh, impact uh, the result. So, but when everything clicks in a certain way, then it, it just feels that completely locked in. It feels that in a, in a way, utterly free and then utterly uh, automatic in a sense that it, it almost it's almost an invisible hand leading you, mm. leading you through and, and putting the ball in the basket, uh, or in our case, you know, ending the phrase in the perfect way or balancing just so and, and, and continuing and continuing. And it's, it's extraordinary. And it's, it's also, it, it, and it's also, I mean, you mentioned this before, but it's, it can also be very scary when that happens because you're, I think there's this fine line between maybe for, maybe not, I don't know if it's the same for athletes, but I wonder if there's this thing for artists where it's you, you're, or at least for actors or performers, you're on this line of like, I'm in control, like I know where, where the train is headed, but I don't, I'm not really in control. Like there's something else that's going on, but, and I don't, I don't know how it's going to end up. It might go very, very badly if I keep on following these impulses, but all these impulses seem to be dead on at the same time. Like it's a weird, um, a weird kind of, uh, tension and friction but when it's over you're like oh man i wish uh, I, w I just i want some of that back it's like a it's like a a hit of well i'm not going to be specific about substances but uh you know it can be kind of addictive and you like i think that's kind of what 
for like for me because I was never like that 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 theater kid who was like oh I must do this for the rest of my life it took me a long time to be comfortable with it but over time once I be I gained some uh, some competence and a little bit of confidence um, maybe not in that order but um, I wanted to chase those like little fleeting moments of me leaving myself because those were the thrilling things but it was also times where I was where at the in the moment I was like oh that was really awful and really bad and really terrible but uh, maybe that's just the sort of um, the sort of journey and process for any artist, perhaps. I don't know. Well, that element of freedom to which you refer is is crucial. Mm -hmm. The sense in the moment that one doesn't quite know where it's going to go. I'll give you a specific example in, in music and specifically in conducting. It, a, lot, a lot of those moments have to do, as so much of music have to do with time and how mm -hmm. we bend time and stretch time or, or condense time. Right. And one might be coming to a fermata, which uh, those of you uh, musically minded know is a, is, is a stop in the music, a, a pause in the music. Fermata means to stop, fermata, everything stops. But of course it stops, but then goes on. And so coming to a fermata, which a conductor of course has to hold and then cut off or, or, or emerge from, in any case, continue. Wonder, wondering once, wondering one's, oneself, how long will the fermata be today? Hmm. And of course, there's no number. No one isn't thinking in terms of 2.7 or 2.4 seconds, but effectively, it could be reverse engineered to be to 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 be expressed in that way. In other words, on a Thursday it might be a little longer, and then on Friday night it might be a little shorter. Uh, and again, different on Saturday. And so that idea of what will happen, I'm not sure yet when I'll cut it off. It will, the spirit will move me somehow. Mm. And that spirit includes uh, any, any way that you want to think of it, including the, 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 the tension in the best way uh, in the hall and how much tension the audience can handle at that mm. moment. And that's a thrill, as you say, that's a thrilling, thrilling idea that that something wondrous is about to take place and one doesn't quite know exactly what it is or how it would but of course all of that is only possible with proper and 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 uh, humble and uh, painstaking preparation in advance and understanding the, the the parameters understanding the range and i suspect that might be similar in acting the range of uh, how let's say how loudly or how softly you might deliver a line uh, you might do it differently but you can't you know for it, it has to be within the appropriate range that will be convincing at that moment so yeah it's, ah, it's... these are these are marvelous things be, precisely because we cannot define them i think that's what it is maybe that's you know i'm not the most patient person but i am trying to get to the bottom of these and also try to present them in a way to 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 the wider public um you know, to express more of these ideas, because uh, part of my frustration, I think, right now is that, um, you know, we, we, we do all this, um, you know, culture war stuff, and I get wrapped up in it, too, sometimes, but I also feel like um, there's more significant conversations that need to be had, and sometimes that, that are ignored, and one of the things that I, I find that often gets ignored is, 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 the, is the arts and the kind of art that uh, said culture that we're arguing about uh, produces, and uh, so it's always it's always fun to, to try and um, 
you know, maybe and it maybe the dangerous part of it is like it's sort of like a magician talking about how all the how all the tricks work that you know that we're trying to get to the bottom of all of this. But I also feel like there is a uh, a crisis of meaning. Maybe that's what I'm what I'm feeling right now, uh, like a spiritual dearth. And I'm not someone who believes in God, but at the same time, I'm thinking to myself, yeah, I, I don't know. Something seems amiss, and it seems to be uh, bubbling. Um, it seems to be percolating within the arts as well, whatever the sort of hole is. And um, maybe if, um, hopefully I can find a way to get more people interested in what we do instead of just, you know, sort of sloughing it off and saying, um, uh, you know, that's, it doesn't really matter. So I guess it kind of leads into a question I have for you as someone who, with, with your background and, and um, are you a dual citizen of here and of Russia? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, what, what, then what is it? Because I, 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 I contacted you originally. I said, you know, there's this weird kind of singular greatness I, I sense about Russian artists. And, and again, reading uh, the Shostakovich biography, there's, there, there, there seems to be such a huge, huge regard uh, in, in Russia for the arts. It doesn't really seem to be here in, in, in the States. Can you sort of elaborate in, from your perspective, what, what, what is different about uh, how the arts are perceived in Russia versus here. And do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing, or is it just, you know, sort of different? And that's what it is. I tend to think it's a great thing. Uh, of course, uh, possibly I say that as a self-interested or in a self-serving way, right. because I'm an artist and, and I want everyone, everyone to, to, to love art and, and to love music and, 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 and to focus on that as much as possible. Uh, not that I expect that. I think it's a great thing really because uh, I don't know how else to put it. Man does not live by bread alone. Mm -hmm. And uh, whether you take that as a literally as a gospel truth, or whether you uh, interpret that uh, as a or, or use that as a metaphor for for um, uh, for some kind of a, uh, um, aesthetic, uh, or, or even ethical approach to life. But I think virtually all human beings sense that we do not live by bread alone, sense that the material possessions, that the satisfaction of material wants cannot suffice in quenching our real thirst. And, and, and sating our, our, our real hunger. Something else uh, is needed, uh, in some ways just as important. And I think in Russia, for reasons that, I, I, uh, that, that are probably far too complex to go into here or even for me to, 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 to understand fully, I suspect it has a lot to do with Russia's difficult history, if I may say uh, a more difficult history than America has had. Um, and that's that's really a, a not a good thing in many ways. Um, mm. In other words, because that means more suffering, and that means more uh, more dead people dead, and more and more everything else. I mean, it's 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 uh, some very difficult pages in Russian history. In fact, most pages in Russian history are difficult, some worse than others, and and a few bright spots too. But uh, I think that notion of art as being therefore all the more important as being therefore all the more critical to human existence to human flourishing uh, is, is 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 perhaps 
uh, perhaps arises from, from these broad historical circumstances. In literature, uh, writers have long been, been considered, uh, a writer has long been considered as a second government. Mm. In other words, as that second authority. Okay, the government may say whatever they say, uh, whatever they want to say, whatever they want to, whether propaganda using our modern language, uh, in other words, or, or just even their point of view. Okay, but the people's point of view is not represented by the government in a, in a country as Russia that has has had very little democracy in its history. So the government maybe maybe torn uh, maybe separated from the people, maybe nothing to do with the people. But the writer, the writer speaks, if you will, for the people and speaks the truth. So then there's that issue. Then there's that question about truth. Of course, in our postmodern uh, world, uh, particularly in the West, uh, people scoff at the notion of truth, right? And and truth, well, truth is relative. I mean, even in a court of law, truth is often seen as somehow somehow not as something to be found, but as something to be to be to be uh, well to to be to, to be argued about. Um, but uh, one so often hears this idea: well, who whose truth? You know, my truth, your truth. Doesn't it just depend on your point of view? And in Russia, traditionally, there are so many proverbs about truth. And tr the word truth is so ingrained in, I think, the national consciousness. And I mean the people, just the, 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 the people. And I think what that means is that there is a sense that truth is absolute, that, tr that facts are facts, and that, uh, and that somewhere deep down, uh, there is truth and there is untruth. There is truth and there is lie. There is truth and there's anti-truth. And Russian artists, again, writers first and foremost, but I think musicians and, well, and uh, playwrights and, 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 and for even painters, visual arts, I think artists have broadly followed that. Of course, there's so many currents, and, and not to say everyone agrees with everybody else, but just maybe followed that notion that art is about speaking the truth it's about speaking truth to power. Everybody says that now uh, when it's when it's easy to do, when it's safe to do. As a matter of fact, when speaking truth to power is is actually the exact opposite, because you're 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 engaging oftentimes in 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 the West in 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 language or in speech that is guaranteed to get you approval of your peers, is guaranteed to give you a pat on the back mm. and to uh, check off your virtue, the, the the virtue signaling that you're engaging in. So that's not speaking truth to power. Speaking truth to power is actually when you're taking a risk, when you're actually risking your life and limb or liberty. And there's very little of that going on. But uh, traditionally in <laughs> Russia, one, one saw that. Uh, and anyway, so I think those may be some of the reasons that, uh, that art really plays, as you say, just an outsized role uh, in, in, uh, in the Russian tradition. Well, it's, it's really fascinating to hear you talk about the uh, or, or linking the amount of, of suffering of historically uh, of the Russian people with the with the production of great art, because you know, at, at the time I was thinking, um, uh, at least as you were speaking about, you know, uh, perhaps jazz and hip hop in the United States, you know, uh, being born of these people who were uh, who were oppressed and uh, also did not have a rosy time here in the States, but they become but they became these huge cultural uh, um 
cultural movements. And in the, in the case of hip hop, it became a worldwide movement. I mean, you can find kids from Russia to Bogota to the Netherlands, you know, battle rapping uh, for money now. It's really, it's really uh, fascinating. One of the biggest rap songs a few years ago was uh, with these, were these guys from Japan <laughs> who were doing some trap. But uh, that's neither here nor there. But I, I do think that uh, it's funny. I, I mention all of that because one of the things I've been struggling with um, is that I, I fail to see, and you mentioned the P word, postmodernism. Uh, I, I fail to see how much of our performing artists today or much of our arts culture today will produce works of the magnitude of the kinds that we're talking about, which endure for, I mean, Chekhov became one of my top three favorite writers once I discovered him in acting school. And, um, you know, even his nephew, uh, uh, the great actor, Michael Chekhov, uh, you know, really his impact and his approach to the work really changed my perspective. And it makes me, it gives me this, and we all as, as actors, have this reverence for the for the for the Russians, but now I feel like we're producing work. There are people who are saying they're suffering, but they're not really suffering, and thus their work lacks the kind of weight that you're speaking of. Does that make sense? Yes, <laughs> yes, it does. And well, and 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 as as far as as far as who's writing now and and, and whose work will endure. Two things: one. It does take time to judge. And we cannot always see exactly who endures and who doesn't. Hmm. Although one would think that in the clearest cases of genius, uh, that is manifest for all to see. Uh, the other possibility or the other factor here is that human creativity and maybe other aspects of, of the human condition seems seems to go seems think of creativity seems to go through peaks and valleys mm -hmm. collectively and while that creative potential of course is extant in every one of us from birth and and and, and until death but in the bigger picture societies uh, produce clusters of of great men and women uh, in, 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 in one fell swoop, it seems, whether one looks at the founders of the United States and how many of them lived in this short time and how many of them really were great men and great, great thinkers and great uh, men of great virtue and men of, of uh, philosophers and, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. One thinks of the ancient Greeks and really the, Greece was a long, was a civilization that un unfurled over many centuries. But the greatest thinkers of Greece are all in a, maybe in a hundred year, 150 year period, um, in some cases even less. And we see that in music, that for, for reasons that are impossible to truly divine because they must be shrouded in, a, in again, in a, in a kind of mystery that the human mind cannot uh, fully penetrate. The greatest musical minds came together in a very, very small heartland of Europe um, in a very, very short historical period. So depending on how you want to define it, but even in what, if one just looks from, from 1770 to 1820, 50 years, that's a blink of an eye, it's nothing. Mm -hmm. And in those 50 years, we have Beethoven and we have Haydn and Mozart and Schubert and we have Rossini and we have, and we have in other words, any number of different of, of, of different directions and different nationalities and they're all there and they're incredible why that happens uh, what are the conditions 
the, 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 what exactly is the fertility of the soil, the pH balance in the soil, so to speak, that allows that kind of genius to, 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 to arise, who knows? But it stands to reason if that's true, then it must also be true that we go through uh, seven years of famine, uh, the, mm. the, the equivalent, and we go through lulls and we go through times when there's just not a lot uh, of humans who are, for whatever reason, able or willing to create great art. So it's possible we're in one of those times where there's, there's less, less than we would like. It's possible. Well, you know, I, I do think, and uh, you know, I was I was challenged by this uh, last time by by Mr. Douglas Murray, who, um, you know, I mean, he he made sure to correct me or to, or, or to help me be more optimistic. Say, you know, the, these people always uh, bubble up to the surface somehow, and I do think he's right. I think uh, it just exists now in different mediums today. I've been obsessed uh, lately with this idea of these various machines now, which maybe are beyond repair, maybe they're breaking down a little bit, and they're incapable of producing the kind of artists that we that we uh, that we enjoy. And I'm thinking to myself of, you know, uh, maybe more career driven aspects in markets like New York, maybe more of the um, uh, on the more administrative side, it becomes more bureaucratic and corporate. And so this just sort of machines where people who are really sort of daring and out of the box, maybe radical thinkers, truly radical thinkers, um, or, or truly radical, um, I guess gifted artists and beings who who will actually speak truth to power and 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 not uh, just within the very narrow parameters of what will uh, uh, keep them employed. Um, maybe you know they're they're going other routes by you know they're going to TikTok, they're going to YouTube, they're going other places and and, and uploading what what they're doing. So that so they exist, but uh, I don't know if we have the machines that are capable of making them uh, anymore. So I guess it kind of helps me segue into something I wanted to ask you as well, uh, and it sort of maybe is along the theme of the um, Russia versus America and the arts cultures there, because one of the things that I read so much about with uh, with Shostakovich. Uh, is that uh, he had to persist as a very, very prominent and very popular artist in Russia, but at the same time, he seemed to become very much a, a political symbol for many people. And it, make, it made me wonder about um, the, I mean, the, re the reason I got the recommendation to read about him in the first place was because I asked my Twitter followers about, um, you know, are there any good books about um, art and artists living under uh, like totalitarian regimes? And people were like, yeah, maybe check out this guy. And we, uh, Clifton, we, do you do you recall off the top of your head who which biography you're reading? Who is the author? Ooh, is it on me right now? I don't. I want to say Elizabeth something. Um, Elizabeth Wilson. I think so. It's just called. It's yeah. just called Shostakovich. Is that a, a good source? Very good source. Extremely good source. Okay. okay. <coughs> yeah. So I, I guess um I I. I I mean, again, you mentioned the P word before, and, and I'm somebody who has, uh, who is sort of on the outskirts of these industries now. Be and part of the reason is because um, even though I'm part of the demographic they say I would want to help, uh, I, I have the uh, the wrong opinions. And um, is, is it there, makes you wonder what real diversity is all about in the first place. Or or what, or my friends, they, they laugh because I, I never use the term progressivism uh, without uh, quotation marks now, because what are we progressing towards? It seems to be a place where everyone is miserable and nothing uh, of use gets made or done. But um, <laughs> it, 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 it's, do you see parallels between, 
between the idea, I mean, I, I feel like you probably do in terms of the ideologies fueling so much of uh, our arts cultures now or arts industries now, or that that is infested so much, dare I say, of our arts industries and um, arts movements in Russia or culture or cultural, uh, so, social political movements in Russia and do and what am I trying to ask? Because it's, it's, it's on the tip of my brain, but this idea of, is there a way that, uh, that did, did you see that have an impact on the arts culture in, in Russia and what kind of Russian, what kind of impact did it have there? And did they recover from it eventually? Like art is, how is Russian art today after that? And cause I'm, 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 I'm thinking about our art here in America and, and seeing some, uh, some uh, disturbing trends and I'm wondering if there's a way that we bounce back from this. Well, that's, that's a profound question and a disturbing question. Has Russian art recovered? Uh, I would say it has not, hmm. not yet. And, or, and certainly not fully. Now the assault on Russian art was, was, uh, twofold, and it's hard to say exactly which uh, of those two twin fronts was more pernicious and more frightening. Mm -hmm. One was, of course, the direct annihilation of people. Uh, you will come across many instances and have already, I'm sure, in Wilson's biography of Shostakovich, where he is faced, or if you haven't yet, you will soon, as soon as you get to 1935 and 1936. Okay. And then really the, re then for the next, for the next 20 years, especially of his life, where shall he die or shall he live hangs in the balance quite literally and, or at the very least arrested and, 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 uh, and, and then, uh, sent to hard labor, uh, camps. So, mm -hmm. but so many, thousands of musicians and uh, artists and uh, writers uh, were killed, were executed, were sent to rot in, uh, in the gulag. And so first and foremost, how can you take, take rip out three quarters uh, or even whatever the ratio is, but of a heart and expect it to keep functioning? Mm. Um, a nation with with so disfigured by in general by genocide and by 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 a, a genocidal regime for 75 years but especially towards its conscience towards its truth tellers towards its uh, genetically most incredible exponents if you will the geniuses who live among each nation so their physical navigation is one reason why russian art broadly speaking has had a hard time fully recovering. Hmm. The second reason is in a, in a way even more terrifying, uh, if, if anything could be more terrifying than killing innocent people, but it's killing, killing people's souls. Hmm. And what uh, Shostakovich struggled with as a, a kind of a, 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 a the archetype uh, of that uh, Soviet artist is he struggled with trying to tell the truth, trying to live not by lies, to use my father's later expression, while uh, surviving in a very high profile position in this anti-human, uh, uh, totalitarian uh, uh, 
nightmarish regime. So, and somehow he managed it, but many didn't manage it. Many caved in fully and sold their soul, quite understandably, uh, to save their skin. But what the moral consequences are, what the artistic consequences are, uh, is 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 is, is a, a really again to say frightening to calculate, if one even could calculate it. And of course, we see in, in you may you may know the phrase or the movement it doesn't deserve the word movement, but the style of socialist realism, and that one sees that particularly in painting. Uh, in in this in the in the twenties and thirties in the Soviet mm. Union, and so this idea and very talented painters and and sculptors and, and again visual artists who uh, who created uh, essentially propaganda works and uh, big huge canvases uh, with two colors red and white and uh, a young couple uh, peasant couple a, a handsome young man and a beautiful young girl. And he has the hammer and she has the sickle and they're charging, as you say, for progressing forward towards our radiant future and they're actually creating <laughs> art out of this. And in, in, in the most kind of crass way now, often they're they have gifted brushstrokes or they have gifted eye for color or whatever some of the technical things may be. But they're creating lies. They're creating mm. falsehood. They're glorifying slavery. What moral good could 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 this ever give birth to uh, nothing? It could only give birth to 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 deformity and ugliness and profanity. Mm. And so these are the I think that the twin issues that bedevil Russian literature, even though and 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 music and, and and Russian art, even though so many have persevered and so many have survived, and there are wonderful, there are wonderful younger artists who are creating today. Who I think, whether or not we put them in the in that top genius category, but who are writing seriously and truthfully um, in whatever medium they're working on. So, so yes, Russian art has survived even if with difficulty, and I have no doubt if we're making that comparison that uh, that Western art or American art, to be specific. Uh, even if under assault from this kind of relentless uh, political uh, kind of uh, drumbeat uh, where everything in art has to be politicized now, uh, I think we'll, we'll certainly recover and, 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 and uh, I hope prosper and most of all speak the truth, which really just means speaking honestly, doesn't it? Speak honestly, not to please someone else. And and bring us bring us works of that will uplift us and 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 uplift and inspire and move. That's what we need, isn't it? From art, that's what we need. Yeah. Well, it, it feel you know you mentioned uh, the the soul, and again, this is language that I would not have used uh, up until a couple of years ago, um, until I began to notice that there is something severely lacking in so much of our of our culture. It's like yeah, there is something spiritual going on. There is a, a sort of dearth of the soul, and uh, I think people. 
I think people deserve to be nourished in the way that only that only great art can can nourish them. And I guess that's maybe that, that's why it's so important to me to try to, to try to articulate for others what what they're missing out on by continuing to neglect this particular aspect of our culture. You know, you keep talking about um, truth. You also mentioned freedom, and it's so difficult. Um, I, you know, in, in my own training, I. You know, we were always trying to get to, I mean, my teachers would say, we're not even trying to, we can't even really teach you anything. We're just trying to get you out of your way and, you know, to take down your, we're trying to deprogram you from all this social conditioning and just to, so you can get more to your raw, authentic selves, which will differentiate you from, because, you know, the audience, you know, they, they, they're coming, I mean, they're, well, they're paying to watch you suffer really, but they're, but they're paying to see you, you play Hamlet. You know what I mean? They don't want to see Shakespeare. They want to see you play Hamlet. They want to see you in this role. And um, you have to figure out a way to get to yourself. But increasingly, there's a, this this culture where it denies, uh, you know, we mentioned uh, objective reality for one. And um, and artists have so have clung have clung to this uh, this vision of the world so tightly now that um, it, it's really difficult to to again, imagine for myself, anyone in these machines being able to uh, do anything that's worthwhile, because you can't tell the truth around these people, because they're just these truths that, uh, you know, that they say they're, they say they're getting rid of taboos and challenging them, but they're, they're merely replacing one set of taboos for another. Mm -hmm. Ouch. <laughs> well, right on point, it seems to me, and, and really well said. And that that's, that's how how depressing if that's true and that it it seems to me that is exactly right but the answer ultimately i hope lies it's always the same uh free yourself free your mind uh I, I remember that from the matrix if you saw those movies free oh, yeah. your mind free it it's up to you whether to free it or not you know about my father it was said one of the uh, many fascinating things said about him. Um, in fact, one of my very favorite uh, attempts to describe what, how, who was Solzhenitsyn? How, how did he happen? How did this kind of miracle happen uh, in, in, inside a, in a totalitarian country? And this quote is, and I, I, unfortunately, I don't remember who said it, but, but I, I'd like to credit whoever said it. Solzhenitsyn and Sakharov, Sakharov, of course, the, the great uh, nuclear physicist who first invented the hydrogen bomb and gave it to his employers, to his government, to the Soviets, mm -hmm. to use, well, they didn't use it, but, you know, to, to deploy on the battlefield or to have in their arsenal, and then very soon realized, what have I done? And in general, what are we doing here? We're, we're creating bombs that can more quickly kill more people. Where's the moral aspect to this? And in short, Sakharov had a moral awakening and became a dissident and spent the rest of his life fighting for freedom and standing for human dignity and so forth. So Solzhenitsyn and Sakharov, although not working closely together, but were kind of the two poles of conscience for, 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 for a whole country in the 1960s. And I'm getting, I promise to my, to my quote that I'm, I've been uh, hyping, but this, 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 this phrase is that Solzhenitsyn and Sakharov began to live as free people in an unfree country. Mm. And it, I just got goosebumps when I first 
heard that or read that and i thought boy that's that must that's exactly right and just this thrilling thrilling notion that it was a decision that what what they began to do it in other words they didn't have to obviously uh they, they weren't forced to <laughs> so it's the choice they made a choice i will live as a free person i will no longer bow down to these idols of 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 slavery and these idols of of uh, uh, general coercion and these idols of lies. I will speak my mind. Hmm. I will behave as if there are no consequences to my behavior, as or to my speech, as in a free, truly free society. There, there shouldn't be. There shouldn't be consequences to a person's speech and that's what they did and so how 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 extraordinary and if they could do it in the soviet union then certainly it can be done um in in the west today well i certainly hope so you know it makes me think about um you know a, a huge theme lately uh, running through my conversations has been uh, these ideas of beauty and transcendence. And it's so fascinating listening to you speak uh, about your father, of course, of uh, those, uh, if you don't know by now, uh, uh, my guest's father is uh, the, one, the, the great uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn. Um, and, but it, 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 it's so, for me, I don't know if there's a, a better example right now than, uh, than the power of great art. Um, and in a way, the work that your father did, it, it's a great, it's a singular example of how you can take the great suffering that we were talking about before, um, but also the decision and the necessity of the artist to be free and live free, but also to tell the truth. He's telling the truth about what was happening, combining all of those. Um, and it's, it's a beautiful, it's an, it's an ugly reality that's beautifully composed and expressed. And it's given form and structure and I think these are the kinds of things that uh, have allowed it to that work to transcend um, and and change the world in a way. And so, I, you know, I, I, I guess the point that I'm getting at is that I want people to understand that if you continue to um, ignore what uh, what kinds of things, uh, uh, you know, guys like, well, I'll say I'll say uh, Ignat does. He's still he's still uh, among the arts, but. But uh, definitely Alexander Solzhenitsyn is a great example of all the things I just talked about, where you have someone who decides that he's going to tell the truth no matter what, and he happens to have the depth and the, and the, crafts, and the craftsmanship and the vision to see it through and tell the truth and live freely and, and look, what, look what he accomplished. And that's, I feel like that's what we should strive for uh, as, as artists uh, all the time. But unfortunately, as we've, unfortunately, as we've referenced before, uh, I don't know if we have a culture right now, at least in our arts industries and in our arts communities that really fosters that kind of um, transcendent beauty, even out of ugliness. Hmm. Yes, yes, yes. But we must persevere. Indeed, we must. But well, we're coming up um, on the hour, Mr. Solzhenitsyn. There, there's, uh, how much time do you have? Because there is uh, one more thing I wanted to ask you. Um, I have... Uh... Five or six more minutes, if you, if you wish, if you'd like them. 
Okay, well, I have a very, very simple question to ask you. You know, I, I spoke to Victor Davis Hanson about the, the importance of uh, classics, and we defined what a classic is. And what I found, I've been heartened by, there's a, there's a great hunger out there for people to understand these things more. So in terms of classical music, I'm curious as to your thoughts and perspective on what classical music has to offer that other genres of music do not. And why do you, why do you think classical music is important and crucial to um to our quality of life? Well, for me, it's very simple, but I hope it doesn't come across as, as, as unfriendly or uh, elitist in, that, in the bad sense of elitist. Uh, look, I think that the difference maybe between classical music and many other kinds, and not, what is classical music, by the way? Uh, you know, we've come up now with a term that's not bad, it's a little ugly, but, uh, art music, meaning, well, classical music could be being written today and is being written today. But for some people, classical music just means old music. But now this term art music is a way of saying exactly what. And as I understand it, it's a way of saying that classical music or art music is music that's written for a purpose that goes beyond, certainly includes, but goes beyond mere entertainment that goes beyond mere giving of pleasure. And that's already a lot. If a Katy Perry song or, or, or Beyonce or whoever it might be gives millions of people pleasure because it's catchy and it's optimistic and it's fun and it's, God bless them, really. I mean, that's, 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 al that's already an, a wonderful achievement. Mm -hmm. So it's not in any way to denigrate that. But I think it's also fair to say that they don't strive to to educate or enlighten or uplift people, at least not in that same sense that that classical music does. And so, I, I mean, to me, that's that's the that's the point of it. Whether it's Bach, whether it's a uh, hundred years ago, let's say Brahms. Well, it's already more than a hundred, but uh, but uh, Rachmaninoff writing, or whether it's um, uh, Arvo Pärt or uh, or whoever uh, writing today. The point is to share something, to share a truth that is really personal. You talked about stripping away and getting to the bottom or to the heart of who, who the person is as an actor. And then I think all, all the more so as the author of that play or as the, uh, as the author of that symphony. So that by really sharing the truth about oneself at least, one can cause other people to have a moving and uplifting a profound experience that's what it's about so it's it's not just about fun it's not just about entertainment it's not just about diversion ultimately it's about feeding an appetite that cannot be sated otherwise and that's also in summation the number one reason why i'm completely convinced whatever the short-term vagaries many of which we've touched on today that music or the arts are experiencing, the long-term need for them will never expire. Not as long as human beings are continue to, well, continue to roam the earth and preferably walk on two, uh, two feet and not not on not on fours. That's the difference. Well, I'm going to close it right there, Mr. Solzhenitsyn. Thank you so much for joining us today. Clifton, thank you so much. Loved speaking with you and 
hearing your insights and just talking about something that really, really matters. <laughs>